0: The people in the C-suite weren't bad people. They were just incompetent to deal with it. They haven't had the education and the training to understand how toxic one person can be one bad goes spoils a whole bunch. And they just allowed their organization to have and still have a vicious cycle of pain and hate.
1: From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back. Today on Bully Buster episode 16, I'm thrilled to have as my guest Jessica Hickman. Born in Wales and now living in Australia, where she was subjected to severe workplace bullying. And get this, Jessica was in human resources in the tough oil and gas industry. She was creating safer work environments for her employees and dealing with the high rate of suicide within her community. Jessica not only filed one or two reports of the vicious bullying she encountered from her own boss. She actually submitted over 30 reports about the awful bullying and abuse. She stayed at her job because of visa restrictions and the fear that her employees would be left to deal with similar things. However, as Jessica puts it in her book, The Bullyologist Breaking the Silence on Bullying, she chose, quote, not to stay a victim the beginning part of our program's Triangle of Triumph. She turned fear into fuel. In fact, Jessica just appeared on the TV show, The View. She's in global high demand as a keynote speaker, workshop educator, and training seminars. She founded a professional anti-bullying methodology for her company, Bullyology. Here's my interview with bullyologist, Jessica Hickman. I am so delighted to have you on this show, Bully Buster. I have read about you and your amazing stories, and the thing that really boggles my mind, and I don't know why it it baffles me, because I was a corporate trainer, then I went into senior management for 30 years, I was in that corporate environment, and had some similarities to you as far as being bullied at different companies and especially with hostile takeovers but what really got me was you filed 30 reports and you're in human resources tell me
0: about that thank you first of all for inviting me here on the podcast today well it was actually 32 mm-hmm. reports that 32. management yeah i say oh 30 reports but Any over one report is just, yeah. So there was just mixed results. I was in a position where I was working in the human resource department and my direct senior manager was my actual bully. So he was the HR manager. So it was really hard because when you are suffering bullying from the person who is responsible for the people and the culture of the organization, it was really hard on where to turn to. And I did Turned to corporate and to our CEO and a long list of other managers who all knew what was happening, but it was a case of some of the wrong people in the wrong jobs. They didn't know how to deal with the complexity of what was happening uh, with bullying that was often discreet, but manipulative. It was just like a chain of effect where people are being promoted into various positions and really just didn't know how to deal with this person that was so toxic. um, But again, was responsible for hiring and firing people. Oh my goodness. People see what was happening, of course, day in, day out, but often very frightened to speak up mm-hmm. and challenge him because, of course, they were fighting for their own livelihood. So became passive bystanders instead of upstanders. And that's what really led me on my quest and mission to really study why some people just choose to be bystanders and how other people become upstanders. When you have a house, children, a family, it's not as easy just to challenge someone who is one, very toxic and could turn on you or two, responsible for hiring.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I'm just amazed and I'm thankful for what you are doing because there were times, I mean, my son is 30 now, but he was just a baby when I got started in my corporate career. I was a single mom and because I had gone through sexual abuse as a child and then chose all the wrong men and then especially men in management positions uh, through my corporate life, but women. Women that were bullies were, to me, much more toxic. I was global director of a company, and my Spanish-speaking cohort did the same type of video that I was producing at the time, and I stood up for her because this person was bullying her, and it was my boss, bullied her so much, but then the other people in the room in the meeting, when I said, this is just not right, you have to stop treating her like this. And I thought she'd be happy that I had said that. She was not. I lost my job because of that incident. So when you first went to the company, had you gone to college or or how, how did you go into human resources at that particular company?
0: I'm actually from the UK, but I'm living in Australia. I arrived in the country in 2013. My background in the UK was I'd been working for the local government and council in a youth worker position. So I studied youth in community. I was working part time in the evening running youth drop in centres. So I'd been doing that from the age of 14 um, as a volunteer position, always really interested in social impact work helping people um, again from childhood. My father was an alcoholic. I think now I understand what really drove my social mission to help others. I was doing that part-time in the evening, but by day I was working as an office manager um, in a construction project. So I was traveling around the UK, working on different sites, looking after teams. At the age of 23, I was in a manager position part-time in the evenings. Wow. And a manager...
1: Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Congratulations. That's quite an accomplishment.
0: Yeah. And a manager's position in the day um, as an office manager. So I always knew, really, I didn't want to work in an office manager position. I wanted to go into the youth justice system or I wanted to change the world. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So what I decided to do after I finished my studies at 23 and I studied my degree alongside these two positions, I was very busy, (laughs) I decided to pack my backpack and travel to Australia through Asia, take a three to six month career break, both companies. By yourself? I went with two friends, actually.
1: Oh, thank goodness. I'm kind of happy about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they ended up going back to the UK and I ended up staying. My companies both allowed me to take the career break, which is amazing.
1: I have to ask you this, career break, because we don't have that in the United States.
0: Well, basically, I told them what I wanted to do and and both of them um, said, yeah, that's fine. Um, You can go. And if there's a position when you come back, um, we will take you back things but in my heart I knew really I'd never I didn't want to go back when I packed my bag I had a leave-in party um, and I arrived in Australia and I I guess straight away I knew I'm going to do everything in my power to stay in this country set up a whole new life um, and start afresh so the first six months I was traveling around backpacking (laughs) living the dream and out of the blue then I got um, an opportunity to um, work for the company they called me. I had an interview with the CEO by the phone. There's a human resource position up in Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia. Would you be interested in it? And I said, well, I'm just backpacking up the middle of Australia. Me and Darwin in a few days for a formal interview. Basically, it was me and the CEO in a coffee shop. He said to me, are you looking for an opportunity just to fund your travels? Or are you looking to carve out a career and a path here in Australia? And I said the latter. Uh, So within a few days, I was on a plane to Perth. Um, I was in a company car, apartment, and then on the job training. So my life changed, and and it was a dream come true. And culturally amazing Indigenous people, the Aboriginal people. So it was just an amazing experience. And as you can imagine, as a young girl um, working on this large oil and gas project, uh, 7,000, 10,000 men in construction building a big oil and gas project.
1: (laughs) You have a lot of guts. You really do. And that takes a lot of courage. So it's very clear that you have what I call one of my five C's uh, civility, confidence courage, creativity, and communication, but the courage to overcome your fears. And I know you've talked a lot about your fears. What did you think at that time? All of your family is in UK and you're going to stay in Australia and make new friends and carve out this career and
0: I was one of the first ones for that company with boots on the ground and day one on the job I was in induction and the, the word suicide was mentioned for the first time and that's when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I thought what the suicide rate is high for men in the industry it, it's the fly in fly out industries so Australia is a large company and all from the world there was 52 different nationalities working there it was Japanese owned project." there was men and women flying in from all around the world in the country living on these camps for a month or more at a time away from friends family with poor communication working in high risk environments isolation in small camp rooms what our roles would be um, was particularly to mitigate risks uh, but also be mindful that suicide rates are high so i kind of knew that then that my mission on that project was to bring in all my past experience and really create a nurturing environment. So everyone I recruited to come and live on the camp and work for us was really to become a family. So I, that's where I started to get a lot of traction. I started to develop culture-based um, workshops and worked in a lot of partnerships with outside organizations. Did you develop
1: suicide training for them?
0: Yeah, so I up, I up skilled in a lot of different things and I worked in partnerships with outside organization. We managed to raise enough money to get a full-time mental health worker on the project for the first time. Oh, that's great. What I did then was get a lot of external organizations in. We developed training. I upskilled skilled in suicide intervention, prevention, all the key conversations but then went out to the workforce. And as you can imagine, a young girl from Wales stood in front of big Kiwi and Aussie scaffolders saying, let's talk about mental health. No, I can't.
1: (laughs) And talking about mental health, um, I would be worried about your own mental health a little bit, but it seems to me, especially being so young and Having that opportunity, and yes, it is so great, and I miss a lot of those perks. You know, the the company car and the paychecks, and you know those types of things uh, that go along with it. But in my bully buster organization, I've had two nonprofits, and I've dealt in my last one since 2013 until just recently in 2019. I stopped it to do what I'm doing right now. But suicide, as you well know, has doubled. For young girls between the ages of 10 mm-hmm. and 14, we have a lot of moms that listen to our podcast and to have suicide rates doubling what they were from maybe a year ago or two years ago, are you incorporating that into your trainings right now? What are you saying about the suicide rates?
0: I don't actually specialize in, in that training. I work in partnerships with lots of different organizations who specialize in that. I deliver training on anti-bullying, but cyberbullying is a massive factor of the, the conversations we talk about. Yes. And as an example, you know, with social media, the anxiety, the depression, the comparison through my partnerships that I have, and um, to talk about bullying and how that. Contributes as well to um, the anxiety and unfortunately the suicide. Um, but the stats are extremely worrying, and, and that's what we even even seen in my past workplace that the level of isolation and loneliness was really a contributing factor in the downturn of mental health. And that would go right from young apprentices, first time in the workplace, to, you know, up to, to adults. No one is escaping it. And really, I've started to do a lot of different things around this now and helping. People have these conversations as early intervention, particularly in the middle of a global pandemic when isolation and loneliness is at an all-time high. And then we're looking at other people in other parts of the world where there isn't so much a spike with COVID-19. And we're looking at them feeling depressed that we're not able to have that lifestyle. And
1: it's, it's just... It's so hard for these for these young kids too. I mean, as you mentioned, for everyone, but for them not having even their brains fully developed and, wow. and trying to know how to maneuver around. What should they do? How should they be? Is it the same in Australia, where uh, the kids are are still staying home because of COVID nineteen, or, or are they actually able to go to school?
0: I'm in. Mean- New South Wales. Um, So we've got um, lower numbers. So at the moment, we're still functioning. Uh, People can still go to the beach. We're we're able to kind of live a a pretty normal life. Yes, we have to social distance. (laughs) People that I do business with and and colleagues and friends, they're navigating the complexity of trying to work a full-time job, looking after the children. So their stress levels, their burnout, their anxiety, their bullying in some regards has increased.
1: So well, cyberbullying.
0: Yeah, well, if we think about organization dynamics, so what's happened now is for the first time, managers are learning how to manage remote teams. So that adds a level of complexity onto the managers where if you're a really great manager and you have that trust with your team, you trust that they may not be able to work their nine to five hours. They may get up early and do their hours then because they have to look after the kids or juggle partners working from the same office or whatever. But then there's these managers now that are now double micromanaging that are expecting to hit the same amount of targets as you was when you were working in the office undisturbed um, and are really then adding extra pressure onto people we're all worried about jobs, you're at home, there's that separation and level of anxiety increasing. your manager for the first time starts to really micromanage you.
1: Is that what happened to you when you were in human resources or when you were in Darwin?
0: What happened to me was as I started to notice the suicide um, and the need for creating an extraordinary culture, I started to get a lot of traction um, from the client because of the work I was doing. Like I mentioned, I'd say, let's talk about mental health. And it took about six months. But what I did manage to do is create a movement within the organization that rippled outwards, where we started to develop peer-on-peer mentors. So when my HR manager came in, he believed that women shouldn't be in the workplace.
1: So... Are you kidding? In your age group, they still do not believe that women
0: should be working? Yeah. So at first, our first interaction was he came into the workforce. I trained him. He was meant to work on a different part of the project, but that never happened. They replaced the current HR manager, walked him out. So that's when the culture went, oh, put him into a power position and he changed like this. And he pulled me in the room and said, I'm going to be your boss now. I've seen the way you operate. I think you're too kind. You've got potential to be an excellent blah, blah, blah. If you work under my mentorship, or I can replace you with my own people. I understand you're on a visa, right? So backhanded threats to be like, it's my way or the highway.
1: Of course. Passive aggressive way to address you and, yeah. and threaten you. You're, you're absolutely correct. And it's good that you know that because a lot of people, I didn't really understand that in the very beginning of my career.
0: Well, I didn't. So it went on for three and a half years. And the first six to 12 months was him asking me to do inappropriate things, one accusing me of flirting with the workforce, then make a backhanded joke that so I'm kind of hooking up with someone. He really didn't understand how I could be so successful so quick. So I had a level of emotional intelligence, kindness. So when someone was going through, I don't know, mental health, a marital breakdown, going through a complexity with their personal life they asked to speak with me so they would come in want to talk to me and then you are
1: being accused of having sexual relations with these men Yes. Basically, um, that's what he did.
0: Basically, and then backhanded comments. And then I think one of the worst days was when he humiliated me. Um, a guy came in very upset. You know, a big, a big scaffolder came in visibly, like, almost crying or in tears because his mum was sick. And I comforted him, hand on the shoulder, got him a glass of water, said, we can get you home. His, his mum uh, was dying. And um, we said, right, like, we'll organise a flight to get you out of here. And when he walked into the room, he clapped in an open plan office and said, could you have basically thrown yourself more at him? And like just picked, like made fun of me. You're, oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, oh,
1: Jessica, let me, I'm just really sorry that you had to go through that type of intimidation and the dismissal of who you are. Which I think is the biggest problem in bullying is that you become dismissed and you know that you're a good person and you're not being seen for who you really are in your authentic order. And so that must have been, I mean, talk about mental health stress that that put upon you.
0: So I think, yeah, so it kind of started off as subtle. And then I started to um, develop a degree of level of my own anxiety, which eventually was PTSD. So I was fearful for obviously the people, because in the end, he started to manipulate the people that were joining my program, started to undermine me. And in the end, he wanted me removed from HR because he didn't trust me thought so I was talking to the client and created this kind of whole level of like painted me in a bad picture, um, hacked my work emails, watching my every move. So by this point, I'd created a level of success that I was in the magazines. Um, I got awarded by the Northern Territory Minister. So outwardly in the community, I started to get traction and win awards. So on the outward, my career was flying, the mental health rate was dropping, people were speaking up. We were upskilling the workers. I was winning awards. But inside, the more successful I became, the more I had sleepless nights. I wake up in hot sweats, fearful I'd lose my job and also fearful I would be deported out of the country. I loved because they were the backhanded threat.
1: Well, he was jealous of you, correct? He was jealous. He was jealous of all the people that love you because you were not operating as a bully and he couldn't manipulate you. And you were still keeping your composure but yes you you can only be on the hot seat for so long
0: and that's exactly it so outwardly I would put on my mask every day I'd have sleepless nights some days I'd vomit um, and I was so worried about other people um, and him finding out that they were going through a personal like a personal issue that he would get rid of them and they'd lose their job so I created this anxiety and I was constantly in the fight or flight you know he would nudge my chair walk past my desk intimidate me so I was constantly like my body was in constant stress and eventually I ended up collapsing in June 2017 at work where they thought my appendix had ruptured. I got taken to a Darwin hospital. Oh my gosh. I lay there as a young girl on the other side of the world from my friends and family, being hospitalized from consistent toxic abuse. And I lay there and I thought, oh, my gosh. But he'd been removed from the workforce six months before when eventually we did have an investigation. They told me they didn't want to make an enemy of him. And they promised that they'd remove him and take him to corporate office. He didn't lose his job.
1: Oh, that makes me mad.
0: Being the naive, kind person I am, I said, I just want him to get the help he needs because he played the victim card. And even after six months, and this is where bullying and abuse, people think when the perpetrator's removed that you're meant to heal miraculously overnight. And even hearing his name six months later and receiving an email to say he may be coming back, that led me and spiraled me into the collapse.
1: I can't imagine What you had to to go through for that and thinking that your appendix had burst or something of that nature because PTSD, I have experienced PTSD is a very, very difficult thing to get rid of. I'm wondering, did you have an opportunity to go through EMDR? Because your body with PTSD, your body has memories even when you try to get rid of them. Even as you said, when you're putting that mask on and you want to make sure that you're able to function and you can still keep your job and, and be in the country and be in the environment and do all these good things that you are doing. And there's such a psychological screw up that no matter how much you are trying to have the, psych- the psychological help, the mental health with the therapist, with the psychiatrist, I believe that you have to retrain your body also, or it retains those memories. And before you know it, you, 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 you can't function and you can't help it.
0: With regards to that, I um I found and I speak about this in my book and it's a whole chapter and I call it my yeah, my holistic journey. So I think that what happened and people always say to me, Oh my gosh, you're so resilient, how did you stay in that for three and a half years? And I put it down to finding meditation, reiki energy healing, yoga, um, all of this kind of a holistic path that I started to dive deep in mid-bullying, which I think like yoga meditation, reiki energy healing and really Really studying and, and what you've said there, I'm a better Rothschild, the body remembers. I remember going to her workshop and book and really looking at trauma and upskilling myself in dialectual behaviour therapy and looking at all these things. So I self put myself on courses to understand what was happening to my body. So even when I was suffering it, I was studying and noticing what was going on and journaled what was happening. So I think that. Like with regards to that, yes, I had therapy um, at at the back end of the bullying.
1: Well, I'm so excited that you mentioned also your book because I admire that you had an opportunity to take your savings and travel to these places and go through different seminars yourself and also teach and train and start uh, development and implementation of your programs. How did that exactly come about? Was it after the hospitalization? Or what happened after that?
0: Yeah, so I think that midway through my bullying, I knew that it was happening to me for a reason. As crazy as it sounds, um, as painful it was, I w- I knew deep down that this was teaching me a new level of empathy, and I needed to study more. So people always say like, "How are you an expert in bullying?" I was like, "Well, I went through it and I studied it, and it was like a life learning and experience, a life mastery or PhD in, in it." Um, <laughs> so I think like
1: I feel the same way. I feel the same way.
0: but when I was laying in that hospital bed, I had committed to myself that I would leave six months before eight months before when my visa had come through but I stayed at a loyalty and I guess that was that hospital bed where I knew my body was going enough is enough Stop putting yourself through this for a company that does not respect you. Respect yourself and leave. So what I did after that was I moved to Sydney. I packed up my life. I lived in Sydney for three and a half months because I'm so traumatized after what had happened. I still believed that I owed the company something because they manipulated me for so long into staying. You know, we got you a visa, this and that, trying to throw more money at me. I'll never get another job to be at this level because I was earning big, big money. You know, it was the oil and gas industry. So outwardly, people were saying... Suck it up, princess. Stay, stay, stay. So I think that's why some people stay in the jobs as well.
1: Or they stay with the husbands.
0: Or the husbands or in the relationship
1: or... They stay in a bad relationship because they don't feel they're good enough. Yeah,
0: and financially safe.
1: And be financially safe. It's better for the kids. And all of those bullies, they know their intentions are to harm you that way, to gaslight you. Because I'm sure that was a huge part of what he was doing to you. And they tried to take away your goodness, first of all, because they don't have any. They can steal it from you. They can feel powerful, but they can only do that for so long. Then they have to keep stealing. It's an addiction process for a bully when you decided, okay, enough is enough. And he still stayed with the company. The really hard thing for people to understand is it is such a problem that Bullies are usually bully victims, but that doesn't mean you get to excuse them. I always thought, well, well, they're really not a bad person. They just don't understand how to treat someone. Or they went through so much bullying. They were a bully victim, so I should excuse them for what they don't know. Maybe if I'm good enough, not even thinking that you're using the word good enough, because I think it's hard to even say, well, I know I'm good enough, but... They've beaten you down so much that the subconscious really has said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You know, you're not. No, you're not. So when you come to that breaking point and you decided that you were going to go in and do something different and you went through all the trainings. How did you decide to start your company?
0: So after I moved to Sydney, I think a turning point, a significant one for me was I was thinking I'm going to write a book and share my experience. But what I had to do was um, just go through the personal development and rebuild myself. I'd lost all my confidence. I, I was shattered. I was thinking, am I even confident? Like what skills have I got? And um, So when I moved to Sydney, I started working for an organization and doing consultancy and training. Um, and it was totally different to what I'd done before. I was running career workshops, been mental people who were going through redundancy. And what I was doing through that role was really collecting information of people, how they were feeling. It was a pulse check for the first time when people were saying, I'm going through this, I'm bullying. And, I, and something switched in me and I thought... There's so many people that are suffering bullying, like over half of Australians will suffer bullying at least once in their work in Korea. Yet this isn't spoken about enough. So I knew I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure. And then in September 2017, I went to a Tony Robbins conference just by chance. I sat there day one and I was like, I will not be a victim of my circumstances. I realized then that I had so much hate and pain. Um, that was linked to the bullying, I really wanted to set myself free. And everyone was saying to me, sue the company. And I'm thinking, oh, I just want to forget about it and move on. And then I thought to myself, I just need to forgive that person for stealing my light. Darkness steals light. And I need to set that free and that intention free. And what I can do is turn my pain into my purpose and actually, develop education programs and awareness to educate business leaders. Like my old company, like the people in the C-suite weren't bad people; they were just incompetent to deal with it. They hadn't had the education and the training to understand how toxic one person can be. One bad apple spoils a whole bunch, and they just allowed their organization to have and still have a vicious cycle of pain and hate because they just don't know how to deal with that one person who's still bullying people. So I thought if I create education and awareness, maybe they could even get education and awareness and understand the, the, the toxic. I realized that the people that are in the cohort of running companies now are in a different generation and demographic to what mine is. If I could start with the education now, which I call, call my upstander generation, is that we need the education early. So when these people hit the leadership positions, they don't continue the reign of pain and hate.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I did a program called Drama Play for four and five-year-olds in schools to start them on that road. I have always been a child advocate since I had my first nonprofit in 1992. And the children at four and five can easily learn that there's a definition for civility and, and what it looks like to be a caring human being. What does it look like to have consideration for other people? How is it to actually have courtesy? And yes, manners, and I'm, to, I'm, I'm not talking about table manners. I'm, I'm also talking about just the goodness of your heart to be extending that to other people and to educate, educate, educate. And you are so right. I think that in all schools, there should be some type of a program for four and five-year-olds, and it, be, it should be continued throughout the school system all the way until they graduate and even in college because there's an awful lot of bullying that goes on in college and and then just continues into the corporate environment which you've experienced. So did you experience any childhood bullying?
0: For me, I never experienced bullying. I experienced, you know, bitchy girls in the mean girl style. And there was times when I would probably take part in that, you know, growing up uh, girls in the playground the chitter chatter they talking about one another but never directly bullied or or was bullied that like I can remember um mean girls yeah just it's mean girls it's play, like I look back on my childhood and they, you know there was pe- there was people that would have fights in the playgrounds and the tough girls that you would stay away from but I think I was lucky enough to be involved in youth services from a young age where I was mentored. And I think that a significant turning point in my life was at the age of 14. I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam as part of a government study Mm. and studied child sexual health, drugs, teenage pregnancy and go to different youth clubs. I find that there's a massive transition period where young people come into the workplace and suffer extensive bullying like I did, but was told it was a leadership style, a management style. So I think that there needs to be a conversation with particularly parents and adults. Um, well, they didn't even
1: accept bullying. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about standing up for things. I stood up for a school. I, I worked as director of admissions for a short time, and then I found out the school had two perpetrators as the owners of a private school. And so I reported them to the LA Times they weren't even talking about bullying. I find it very odd when I go into schools or I go into corporations, people still have an idea that bullying is just not as bad Mm -hmm. as abuse. It's not really abuse. And when you look at the definitions of abuse and bullying, their common denominators are they want power over someone else Mm -hmm. and they want to maintain it. They do this continually with the intention of harming you what is your definition of bullying? What do you say when you're in the corporate environment?
0: Exactly that. So if we think about bullying and harassment, it's a, it's a power and control strategy where they want to manipulate and gain power and control of the other person. Bullying is repeated intentional health, harming behavior with intent to damage the other person's psychological, emotional or physical harm or health. So if we think about bullying, and it's exactly that, and I always make a comparison to domestic violence. So if we think about domestic violence and we hear that someone we know is suffering domestic violence, we know the protocol, we know to hopefully call the police, get in touch with support services, provide that support network for them. And there's clear boundaries, laws and definitions for how that should play out there's not enough understanding to how that is equally as damaging as as being in a domestically violent relationship. If we think about bullying in the workplace, you're trapped with your perpetrator, whether it's your boss, colleague, peer, whatever, um, for seven to 12 hours a day, however long your working day is, five to six days a week, however many days, It can also be the equal amount of time as you're with your spouse at home suffering that abuse. I just don't think there's enough education and awareness of how damaging workplace bullying and abuse and harassment is.
1: Uh, People still say, my former husband, I, I have a wonderful husband finally, but they didn't understand if you weren't physically abused, you weren't hurt and so at one point i was working in an all girls all therapeutic boarding school for a lot of girls who had a lot of issues and you're talking about the drugs the pain they were this was an affluent group of people and they did an activity where it was called bruises to healing and they they actually took markers and crayons and lipsticks and all these different things. And they wrote all over their clothes, their arms, their faces, did stuff to their hair with emotional words. It was an activity to just see how this covers your whole body, that mental emotional pain, to me, mental abuse was so much worse. And wouldn't you say what you went through? Bullying, felt harder hit than if you had been you had your leg broken
0: i don't make the comparison really with the physical because i haven't suffered it but i guess all i can speak out um, about now is how the mental um, and emotional abuse sticks so as an example um it's years since that happened to me um, and i'll be sharing a keynote or sharing my story and sometimes i'll break out in a rash a burning rash all over my neck that comes up onto my face, which is a physical response to remembering the trauma. So even though I may not feel emotional or stressed or be triggered by it, Like you mentioned, the body remembers. And sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be riddled with anxiety. Other days, it would be like it never happened.
1: What's your go-to when you're like that, especially when you have to do a keynote?
0: Some days, when I am extremely riddled with anxiety and the days are, you know, small and small as the time goes off, some days I just have to give myself a break and be honest with myself and just make a, a commitment to myself. And I think with regards to a keynote, there's a certain level of anxiety and stress with public speaking and presenting, as you know. But I think that the the clear message I always tell myself and young people that I'm mentoring and working with is I think with regards to the bullying, I kind of detach from it's less about me and more about the person. So when I go into a room, I say, if my message lands with at least one person today, if there's hundreds of people, not everyone may like or need to hear it, but if it helps that one person, I've done a good job. And I also say I am the messenger, not the message.
1: Oh, I like what you just said. You're the messenger, not the message.
0: Yes. And I just set myself free and I do this ritual. and Like I do it every morning. I do it before this podcast. I just sit and I kind of like channel in, and I just say, right. What message needs to flow through me for someone that's going to listen today? And how can I just deliver what needs to be without judgment and ego and just separate myself to from that? And I think that's been really helpful for me to just kind of like detach, I think, the ego and the mind and the monkey mind and the anxiety the who am I? I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. All of the things that you're that you kind of create because of your systemic
1: bullying you talked about cyberbullying, and i just think it's so important especially with moms a lot of the moms that partner with me with big brothers big sisters so it's one-on-one mentoring with an adult the big sister and the little sister or the big brother and the little brother that type of environment but as you mentioned one-on-one you you really can't i've tried i've had so many civility leadership academies for kids and they'd come in for the whole day but the whole family isn't in on it, or they don't have a way to keep practicing that skill and continuing the education and retaining that type of thing. The problem I find the most is cyberbullying connected with suicides with the young kids and the parents recognizing it because I have dealt with mentoring girls who have tried to commit suicide and they are the girls like yourself, you know, beautiful inside and out and, and just full of life and, creativity and vitality and and curiosity and kind, caring people. But words, words, when you only have those seven words, how do you help those people that are suffering with cyberbullying? What do you say? Were you cyberbullied in addition in your 32 reports? Did you have an awful lot of cyberbullying or was it mostly where you couldn't, retain the information and use it if you chose to go through a lawsuit and i understand how you feel about that but i've had to i've had to sue certain people
0: it, it was a mixture for me email humiliation and like backhanded tactics was used um, he would text me and ring me at night but i guess i haven't suffered cyberbullying outwardly but I have. Look, I do a lot of work in the media. I'm featured. And it is funny, actually, that, um, like, as an example, I believe I'm kind of thick-skinned. And I always say that, you know, you can ignore the comments. They're keyboard warriors. They don't know you directly. They've got nothing better to do. But when they're attacking you and your appearance, and I was on the news a couple of weeks ago, and I did see someone. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um- is it up online? Yeah, it's on. if you want to head over to the Bullyology Facebook page, I've shared it on there. And the news were doing a feature on me moving my life and business. And it was funny because someone just put a stupid comment on there just saying like, it was a simple flip and comment saying something like, why are you moving out here when there's not enough jobs for the locals, even though I do all my business online and I'm not taking anyone's job. (laughs) Just like silly comments that like it was nothing to directly associate me. But I looked at it and I thought, Oh, and I pondered on it and I was thinking, well, that's just rude. You don't know me or the person I'm here to help the local, blah, blah, blah. And I just had a word with myself and I was thinking, oh, God, it's not a person that's attacking you. But throughout the day, I realized, and it, it's always good because you can be the most resilient person. And I kind of like think that you're well equipped for these, these kind of like cyber bullies. Or I think that if I suffered bullying again, I would be well equipped for it. But you just never know. And then I realized that out of like, The hundreds and hundreds of messages of support, the amazing work you're doing. There was just like one silly comment that like resonated, like stuck with me. And I realize how much young people feel when they post up an Instagram picture and all of their self-confidence and worth is based on how many likes they get or all the comments. Then there could be one person that makes a bad comment through a fake profile that could send them spiraling.
1: Usually by betrayal of a best friend. Best That's friend. That's the most common. Yeah. Uh, learning how to become a best friend, right? Because think about the best friends in your life, and I've had people in my life, in and out of my life, that I thought were going to be one of my best friends ever, that have turned on me in the corporate environment and, you know, when I was, certainly when I was younger. I think that kind of betrayal, it just cuts to your core.
0: I've learned the hard way as the more successful you become, the bigger the target on your back. There's always going to be people that are jealous of you, whether you're an entrepreneur or working for yourself, or you succeed in an organization. And the same for peer groups. Not all of your friends are going to be backing you in your life choices, your career path, your business. You know, there's some friends that openly will call me and say, how's your business going? We're in a pandemic. And other people that just haven't even asked. And I always try to be kind and message everyone and say like, hey, how are you going? Hope you're okay. But sometimes people run their own initiatives. So if we think about teen girls or people entering the work place we need to have a conversation as parents and for the parents listening to this podcast it is that throughout life you outgrow friendship groups and if you are someone that wants to achieve great things sometimes you are unfortunately going to outgrow some of your you know, whether it's family or friends, and not everyone's going to be supportive of you. And I think sometimes people dumb down themselves like I tried to do. I was getting super successful and I would play down my achievements and try to like shy away because I didn't want to stand out. And when I actually learned to overcome that and realize it was less about me and more about their incompetency, jealousy or inferiority, that I realized that I'm not always going to please people.
1: You hit the nail on the head. I was such a people pleaser for so long until I learned how to define myself before others do so that I could forget about myself and do the things that matter the most. And what did I think that matters the most? Creating healthy relationships and also providing service. I am so impressed (laughs) with the vast knowledge and opportunities that you have had, your maturity And I just think, wow, why couldn't I have learned all that she's learned and doing all that she's doing in my younger years? And then I think to myself, why are you comparing yourself? But I am so thankful. Thankful, thankful, thankful for you, Jessica. You're extraordinary.
0: Thank you. And I just think on that note as well, one of my key messages that I try to share is, and I think this is really important for anyone listening, that life is going to throw lemons at us. It's a roller coaster. If it was all plain, simple, it would be boring. And I strongly believe my bullying happened to me to teach me a different level of resilience, adversity, and, and shape my life purpose and path. I know now whatever is thrown at me, even though it's super painful. I go to my toolkit of things that I've learned to realize, like how can I get through this to the best of my ability and then use what has happened to me to help other people. And I guess like the teacher is only one step ahead of the student. I think that no matter what age we are, whether there's young people listening to this, we've always been able to use our experiences to influence and help someone that may be walking the path behind us. And teach the lessons that we've learned just through conversation. So um, yeah, I'm super grateful for anything that's happened to me.
1: You know what? I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much. I really can't tell you. You just made my day. You are a light and you are going to help these moms who are dealing with their kids. And also we have lots of therapists and professionals and different types of people. And you, you're a great light. Thank you for being on Bully Buster today, Jessica. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Jessica Hickman has rocked Bully Buster. I mean, she really shared her heart and soul as a dynamic activist and advocate in the field of bullying. She made her journey meaningful. And now she's in high demand around the globe, spreading her positivity and sharing her story fresh off the View TV show to which you may find a link in our show notes. Here's my takeaways. Number one, bullying is complex. It's often manipulative and discreet. It's difficult to fathom, and it requires grieving as a victim. All the five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Number two, Jessica had to be hospitalized to come out of denial that she was a victim. However, she traveled our triangle of triumph, as all victims need to do. She went from victim and choosing not to stay a victim to survivor to an even better leader, activist, and advocate in her, quote, post-traumatic growth. Number three, she was already practicing our five Cs, which are civility, or to be caring, considerate, and courteous. And she came out stronger and more valiant from the great adversity and abuse that is bullying. Number four, she is confident in a gentle giant type of way. We need the courage, as Jessica did, to follow our mission in life, our purposes. Jessica blew this one out of the water, creativity, and wrote her book, The Bullyologist, Breaking the Silence of Bullying, founded a professional anti-bullying organization, Bullyology, and travels the globe as a keynote speaker. Number five, finally, as we follow the path of refusing to stay a victim because it's toxic and breaks our spirits, she communicates, which is number five, loudly with her calm voice. You can find more information about Jessica in our show notes at BullyBuster.us slash Jessica. You'll also find our Triangle of Triumph PDF to download. Subscribe and book me as your speaker at the website from BullyBuster.us. Until next time, I'm Rhonda Orr. Let's build civility for a new generation.
0: Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.